you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Acts chapter 4 or turn there in your uh, phone Bible app or uh, tablet Bible app, but uh, Acts chapter 4, that's our text today. While you're turning there, I just wanted to remind you in case you uh, forgot or were unaware uh, that today is um, Super Bowl Sunday. And I know that's news to some of you all. Uh, I did want you to know, and, and uh, I think this is important information that will be helpful for you, um, that if you love what is true and righteous, then you will be supporting the Atlanta Falcons against the New England Patriots. Some people are a little more excited about that than others, I understand. And so uh, I, I don't know if you uh, care uh, about the game. I, I do. Uh, not even a little, uh, but I do care that, uh, the, uh, New England Patriots are again in the Super Bowl. I do care about that because I don't like them. And, uh, anyway, uh, that is me speaking. Neither, none of that was biblical nor spiritual at any level, but we, we were, uh, Edie and I were watching TV last night. We were watching the, uh, there was something on, uh, television about the NFL uh, Super Bowl halftime shows. And they were uh, going through the, the great halftime shows of Super Bowl history and that kind of thing. And, and uh, they were talking about Paul McCartney. And uh, the only one that I remember, and I've watched, I think I've watched pretty much all the Super Bowl halftime shows uh, that I, I mean, at least in recent days, the only one I really remember was uh, the best one, in my opinion, that was U2. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I get a little bit of hoorah for that, but, uh, that was the Super Bowl right after nine 11. And, uh, it, I don't know if you remember that, but man, they were, it was strong. That was strong. You two was strong, but I don't remember uh, much of anything else, but Edie and I were talking about it. And she asked me, well, why do, I wonder why they don't have any country music acts, uh, or have there ever been any country music acts? Uh, for halftime, I said, well, I'm sure there have been some. I mean, I don't, I don't know. So I did a Google search, and I began to look at the history of the Super Bowl halftime shows. And going all the way back to the very first Super Bowl, they've always had halftime shows. But it wasn't until the last two decades or two and a half decades that, uh, that it was anything other than uh, the USC marching band or Grambling State marching band or... Uh, most of the time in, in the broader history of the Super Bowl, the halftime shows were just what you would see at a college football halftime show. Uh, it was just a marching band and, and uh, putting on the Ritz and that kind of thing. And, and then uh, the last couple of decades, it, it morphed into something more dramatic. And sure enough, there have been some country music acts, Shania Twain, if you call that country. Uh, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to country music, Merle Haggard, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, I mean, uh, Vern Godston, if you don't know that, you're not a country music fan, that's all I'm saying. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jessica Simpson, <laughs> kid you not, I ser kid you not, have no idea what she did, but. She was a halftime show. Um, and then, uh, then you have all the other stuff. Um, but today, about 6.30, people are going to be filing into the 
a new stadium there in Houston, Texas, and, and thousands upon thousands of people will go to the concession stands and buy their wares, and they'll get to their seats. They've spent probably from right now until the time that the gates open, they'll be doing their, their tailgating there in the parking lot, and, and then millions of more people will be preparing with their buffalo wings and, and uh, uh, french fries and and uh, that, that's about as wild and crazy as they get in Baptist world, I know, because they'll drink iced tea, uh, sweet iced tea, amen? I know we're in Virginia, but we're still Southern Baptist. I mean, really, come on. Uh, but I, I, so thousands upon thousands of people getting ready for the game, millions going to be watching the game. Um, and, and it got me to thinking what would the Super Bowl be? All these people in the stadium. National anthem plays. Everybody's there celebrating, having a good time. But what would the Super Bowl be if two football teams didn't play each other? I, I wonder, I wonder how much... How, how, much, how much of an entertainment factor that would be. I mean, there's, there's certainly entertainment factor, even with the halftime shows, if you watch TV, the commercials. I mean, all those things. But would they have commercials if they didn't have two teams playing? Would they, would they have the halftime show without two teams playing? Would they be able to sell concessions without two teams playing? Would it be a Super Bowl without two teams playing? Obviously not. In the same way... Just like there is no Super Bowl without two teams playing, there is no church without obedience. It, it takes obedience for the church to truly be the church. It's, it's, it's not that obedience creates the church, but obedience is a defining factor of the church. And, and, and just like the Super Bowl, we can get in a room and we can sing songs and <coughs> we can have somebody... This is the halftime show in a church. Y'all going to have to catch up a little bit. I know it's cold. It, my wife would say, catch up to what? You're just not funny. That's what she would say. I, I kid you not. That's what she would say. She'd say, if you would tell better jokes. Uh, my children say, would you just please stop talking? You know, I did, that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, that, that, we have all the singing. We have... Uh, guys standing up here talking, and, and then we leave, and we call that church, but it's not really church if we leave and we don't obey. See, it takes obedience to be a defining characteristic of who we are as a church. When I was, uh, when I was in high school and, and early in college, I had a, a a lawn care business. And, and I learned <clears throat> early on that the way to make money in a lawn care business is to get a contract for a full year. And in that day and time, the only way you get a contract for a full year is if you went to the restaurants and apartment complexes and businesses. And, and that's what I did. So I had several contracts that I, that I serviced every year. And, and the, the, the good thing is that it was a 12-month contract. The bad thing is in Southeast Texas, 
it's green there about 10 out of 12 months a year. So I was working all the time. But as I would add different businesses, I realized how important my equipment was. The equipment that I used helped me mow more grass and get more uh, work done in the least amount of time. So I would, uh, my lawnmower was a very important part of my lawn business, as you might imagine, right? Uh, but the upkeep of that lawnmower was very important. So I, I didn't go out and buy the fancy uh, uh, automatic clutch lawnmowers and, you know, the, the, the self-propelling stuff. I went out and bought uh, a Sears and Roebuck, you know, that used to be a thing, a Sears and Roebuck uh, lawnmower, and I think it had a Briggs and Stratton engine, and I would be able to tune that thing up and keep the gas in there and keep the oil changed and, and change the spark plugs. I could even break it down a little bit and, and make sure that that engine would hum because that would help me with my purpose, which my purpose was to mow grass. But that engine, as, as good as it sounded, as well as it hummed, that engine would not fulfill the purpose of the lawnmower without a blade. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are like a lawnmower without a blade when we fail to obey. Just like a lawnmower doesn't have a blade to fulfill its purpose of cutting grass, a follower of Jesus doesn't fill his or her purpose without obedience. Obedience isn't just an optional thing as a follower of Jesus. It is, a, it, it, it is core curriculum. It is, it is basic to who we are. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to obey God. That's the new nature that Jesus put in you when the Holy Spirit of God drew you into a fellowship with God and gave you a new life and made you a new creature. He planted in you a desire to obey God. That's who you are. In John 15, I talked about Jesus said, um, uh, uh, as I abide in my father's love, you also abide in my love. You abide in my love when you obey my commandments, just as I obey my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. No greater love is anyone than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And I have called you, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. You are my friends if you obey my commandments. And Jesus was saying, this is who you are as the vine attached, uh, as a branch attached to the vine, your deep desire is to abide in him, to dwell with Jesus. But the only way that you can experience the fullness of joy in that connection is through obedience. Obedience is essential. And that's what we looked at last week. Jesus obeyed and we're his followers. So we're supposed to obey. You remember last week how Jesus obeyed Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5? Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, yet made himself of no reputation, took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of man. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. So here we are today as followers of Jesus. Obedience isn't just something we ought to look at and think about. It's something we ought to strive to do every day. And the church teaches us today how to have courageous obedience. The first church teaches us how to grow in courageous obedience day after day. In Acts chapter 4, the context of Acts 4, by the way, I get excited about it. Anytime I preach out of Acts, I get really excited. I know you might think I get really excited all the time, but when I preach out of Acts, I get really, really, really excited. Uh, So the context of Acts chapter 4, if you look back, flip back to Acts chapter 3, you see that Peter and John are walking along and on their way to the temple, they're, they're passing by this place called Solomon's Portico or Solomon's Porch. It's on the outside of the temple there in Jerusalem. And they, they, they see this guy that's uh, lame. He, he can't walk. And, and, and the way he made money was to beg for money. And so he's there in Solomon's Porch begging money from the people that are going to church. And, and, and so Peter and John walk by and, and they see him and they say, uh, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the scripture says that, that the lame man uh, was healed completely and he started uh, leaping and jumping and praising God because he was made whole. Well, it created a stir and people began to gather around because they saw this guy and they say, isn't that the guy that was lame? Isn't that the guy that laid at the temple and he kept asking, now he's standing up, was he lying then? What's happened to him? He's leaping and praising God. My goodness, could a miracle have happened? And, and, and sure enough, they get around and they see Peter and John talking to the guy and they want to know what in the world has happened. So Peter begins to proclaim Jesus Christ. And he says, the only way for you and for me to experience the fullness of life, the only way for you and me to experience seasons of refreshing that come from heaven itself is through Jesus Christ. And on that day, a lot of people uh, who once were far from God found new life in Jesus Christ. And it, it changed the fabric of the culture in Jerusalem, except for the religious leaders. The religious leaders were very upset. These are the same people that held a trial to convict Jesus and put him to death. They, they, they were like that. They were very upset. And, and they were upset just like, just, like, uh, uh, just like they were with Jesus, they were upset with the disciples. And so they, they arrest Peter and John and they bring them uh, to a, a kind of a, an informal trial. Now, in, uh, you, you see this and, and, and uh, they, they, uh, they ask uh, Peter and John in verse 7, uh, they set Peter and John in the midst of them and they ask, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a man, uh, judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you killed, whom God raised up from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, and it has now become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Then they realized that these men had been with Jesus. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with Peter and John, the religious leaders could say nothing against it. But when they had uh, commanded Peter and John to go outside of the council, uh, they conferred among themselves. Verse 16, this is what they said. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable, notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in the name of Jesus. Verse 18, so uh, the religious leaders called Peter and John and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you be the judge. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. As we look at this passage, what we, what, what, what we see is that the first church teaches us about obedience, not just any kind of obedience, but courageous obedience. Obedience when it's hard. Obedience when people aren't going to like you being obedient. Obedience when it goes against the grain. Obedience in a hostile culture. Obedience when people are standing against you and threatening you if you stand up and share the good news. But, but, but we need to understand that it's obedience that helps us turn a trial and a test into a triumph for the gospel. It's obedience that transforms the difficulty of our circumstance into a delight for God's pleasure. It's obedience that inspires joy in us when everyone around us, even our circumstances, proclaim nothing but pain. It's obedience that awakens in us the joy of Jesus. This is what the first church teaches us, but obedience is not always easy. Obedience is hard. It's a lot easier to be the Super Bowl without two teams playing. It's a lot easier to be a, a lawnmower that makes a lot of noise without a blade to cut the grass. It's a lot easier to be a chainsaw that, that starts on the first uh, crank and, and, and hums and runs like nobody's business, uh, but doesn't have any teeth to cut the wood. It's easier to be a follower of Jesus who doesn't obey. It's easier to be a church that doesn't obey. But there's something about us that loses ourselves when we refuse to obey. Obedience is something that we cannot ignore or deny. It's something that we've got to pursue. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the first church. We're going to see some steps that we can take in order to, uh, to have courageous obedience in our everyday life. When you leave this place, you go to your Super Bowl party this afternoon, how can you be courageously obedient with those who are there like Peter was, and, and, and fulfill your purpose. By the way, your purpose is the same as Peter's purpose. Peter saw this trial as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. When we go and leave this place, if we're going to be obedient, that means that we see opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ so that people who are far from God can find life in Christ. If you and I are here today and we're not telling others about Jesus, make no mistake, we're being disobedient. We're being disobedient. We're being disobedient. 
You might say, well, I talk about, uh, you know, religious stuff. I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not even talking about having a theological discussion. I'm talking about being like the first church, being like Jesus himself, taking every opportunity we can to help others see the rescuing love of a loving father who sent Jesus to die for sinners. And there is no other name under heaven by which anyone can be saved. Let's start telling somebody about it. This is our... This, this is obedience. This is two teams playing in a Super Bowl. You say, well, I'm obedient in a lot of things. Well, good. I'm glad you're obedient in a lot of things, but are you obedient even in the harder things? See, courageous obedience isn't just about I'm obedient in the things that are easy for me to obey. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It's like I'm on a diet from everything but ice cream and coffee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you know me at all, you know two things I love. Ice cream and coffee. I, I'm obedient to my diet. You know, I, 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 I stopped eating broccoli. <laughs> I stopped eating green beans. I stopped eating spinach. I stopped eating chicken. It's a new diet, <laughs> coffee and ice cream. See, I, that, that, that's not a diet. That's an excuse. And what we do, listen, what we do as followers of Jesus is we point to all those places in which we're obedient to excuse while we're disobedient in the harder things. But joy, fullness of joy is found in obedience even in the harder things. Okay, does that make sense? So let's, let's find some steps. So what's the first step? Well, we've got to stay in step with the Spirit of God. Peter, verse 8, Peter was confronted by these religious leaders. They were threatening him, and they'd already arrested him. These are the guys that had killed Jesus. They, they're the ones. He's standing before Caiaphas and Annas, both of whom held the trial that sent Jesus to his death. Right? So, so they're standing right before these guys that had pronounced judgment on Jesus. And, and, and Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit so that he began to speak. And he spoke in ways that wasn't, I mean, he, he, he spoke in ways that were extremely frank and not very politically correct. He wasn't trying to... He wasn't trying to mince words. He wasn't trying to play it safe. He said, you're asking us how, how this guy got healed? Well, the guy who healed this man is the guy you killed on a cross. The same one that God raised from the dead. It is by him that this man is made whole. And go on and say, and by the way, you guys, you rejected him, but God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. You rejected him, but he's the only one that can save. There is no other. Now, how did Peter, who not long before, maybe not three months before, had denied Jesus three times, how did Peter change from the denier to the guy who stood before the same people that he was so afraid of and how did he become so bold? The scripture says that he was filled with the Spirit. 
Now, being filled here is different than, than, uh, uh, than uh, what we see in Acts chapter 2. See, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happened. And P- Pentecost happened that the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit fell upon uh, all flesh. That's the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. God poured out his spirit on all flesh. Everyone from that moment on, everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ immediately uh, receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit so that we are all who are followers of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the spirit of God dwells within you so that you are a temple of the spirit of God. That's our reality. That's our right now. But in, 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 uh, in verse 8, when it says Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, that's not the indwelling, ongoing part. This is a moment in time where the Spirit of God awakens in Peter the courage that he needs in that moment. This is where the Spirit of God uh, inspires Peter to speak and gives him the words to speak and gives him the, uh, the, the right words to speak. This is where the Spirit of God directs his uh, steps. It's uh, where the Spirit of God gives him comfort and courage. This is when the Spirit of God rises up in, in, in Peter, and, and that's what we need. If we're going to be courageously obedient, we need a fresh work of God in our soul by the Spirit of God, inspiring us to stand tall and stand firm even when it's tough. But we've got to, we've got to stay close in step with what the Spirit of God is teaching us. And our problem is that it's a lot easier to get out of step with the Spirit than it is to stay in step with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul was talking about this. And, and you remember Galatians 5, this is where Paul says, um, uh, says that, that walk, if you walk, verse 16, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You all remember that? And then he goes on and he says, now the, the works of the flesh are self-evident. And then he gives this list. Uh, of, of, of stuff that includes uh, some sexual immorality and includes uh, creating division and gossip and slander and envy. Th- those are some of the things that he lists there. And he says if, it, it, that there's some other stuff. He says, and the like. There's a lot of other stuff that goes along with that. But he, he says, these are the things that are out of sync and out of step with the Holy Spirit. And then he follows that up and then he says, now the fruit of the Spirit are is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, against which such there is no law. And so he lists those two things. Then down in verse 24 and 25, he brings it to a head, and this is the part that I want us to look at. Verse 24 and 25, he says, he says and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Breaking that down, it helps us understand how that we can stay in step with the Spirit. Well, the first thing we've got to do, if we're going to stay in step with the Spirit, so that we can be inspired with courage in difficult days, and maybe today's a difficult day for you to be obedient to God, well, how do you stay in step with the Spirit so that you can be inspired and encouraged by the Spirit? The first thing is you've got to kill, crucify those fleshly desires. You've got to kill the flesh. Now, killing the flesh is not something you do once and never do it again. To kill the flesh, these are the desires that run contrary to the character of God. These are the, these are the desires, the ambitions, the thoughts, the intents that, that we hold on to that are inconsistent with what God has said in his word and inconsistent with the, the, the character of Jesus Christ and how he lived and inconsistent with uh, the, the, the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. If, if, can I, if you are involved in gossip, 
then you are out of step with the Holy Spirit. If you are involved in slander, you are out of step with the Holy Spirit. If you've allowed anger and bitterness to take root in your heart so that you are dissension, you are divisive uh, in your family or in your church, you are out of step with the Spirit of God. It's just that simple. So what we have to do if we're going to stay in step with the Spirit is we got to kill those things in our life. And by the way, i got to kill stuff every single day throughout the day. And I would contend that if you're not having a fresh killing of your fleshly desires throughout the day, then chances are you are out of step with the Spirit of God. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're going to crucify the flesh and all of its lusts. Are you killing the flesh? To stay in step with the Spirit, you've got to have a daily discipline and diet of destroying the flesh desires in you because we've all got them. I mean, I've got all my ambitions and all my pleasures and all my thoughts and, and, and the uh, intents of my heart. I've got all those things, just like you do. But I don't have them so I can embrace them. I have them so I can kill them. Are you killing them? My prayer is that God would plague you today with thoughts of those fleshly desires until you kill them. The second thing we've got to do is stay in step with the Spirit is verse 25. He says, if, if, if we say we live by the Spirit, now he's talking about everyone who is a follower of Jesus. You say you're a follower of Jesus, then you're also saying that you're living by the Spirit. The Spirit of God has sealed you with his salvation. The Spirit of God has brought you into the family of God. The Spirit of God has born you again. The Spirit of God dwells within you. You are living by the Spirit. If we say we live by the Spirit, Paul wrote, he says the second part, though, then let us walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit means that we realize that there are times when we might get out of step with the Spirit, and we're going to kill those desires so that we can get in line with what the Spirit says. Are you living in line with what the Spirit says? See, if we're going to obey, if we're going to have courageous obedience, we got to begin at the core of this, and the core is simply get it right with the Spirit of God. I, by the way, this is the third time I preach. I get to preach it one more time at 1230, and I don't get a lot of amens on this sermon. It's okay. I don't preach this so I can get a lot of amens, but, but I understand. It's hard. It's not easy. This isn't, this isn't, woo, this is a Super Bowl sermon, really? You know? It's hard. But you're a follower of Jesus. And as a follower of Jesus and as a member of this church, there is a mandate on your life and mine to kill the sin that constantly rises up and to commit ourselves consistently to get in line with the Spirit's leading. And by the way, what you feel is not necessarily equal to what the Spirit is leading. Just because you think this is going to make me feel good does not mean that that is what the Spirit is leading you to do. The Spirit is leading you to do exactly what the Scripture says. 
Okay? So you got to start there. Am I in line with the teaching of God's word? If I'm not in line with the teaching of God's word, then I need to get myself in line with the teaching of God's word. Got to stay in step with the spirit. Second thing we learn in this passage is that we need to stay close to Jesus. So you look at verse 13. So Peter has just told off the religious leaders. He, he allowed his obedience to turn his trial into a triumph for the gospel. He was not a lawnmower that, that just had a motor that ran. He was a lawnmower that had a blade that would cut. He, he was a follower of Jesus fulfilling his purpose, and that's who we are to be. He was filled with the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit. He was in step with the Spirit. Then the second thing is it was evident that he was close to Jesus. You look at verse 13, the scripture says that the religious leaders were in, in awe of these two guys, that they spoke with such boldness, Peter and John, because they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained. Last sentence of verse 13, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let's just stop here for a second. How many people realize that you've been with Jesus? Not that you're a religious person and go to church. Not that you're a moral person. Not that you're a conservative person. Not that you, not, not that you have a set of rules by which you live. How many people recognize that you have spent time with Jesus? How many of the people that you encounter see Jesus in you? See, the way, the way we're courageous in our obedience is because we display Jesus when we talk and when we walk, especially in those difficult times and those, those challenging moments. We're, we're not displaying the personality of Eric Thomas and God help me when I do. In those difficult moments, I need to have a boldness born from my relationship with Jesus. I've spent time with him, and he comes shining through. What about you? What about our church? Oh, our church is known for how, how well we sing, or our church is known for how many programs we have, or our church is known for uh, our building on Kempsville Road or our church is known for a great vision where we're starting a new campus in 2017. Our church is known for, for, for all the wonderful things that we do, but that's not really the test. When people see the church, do they see Jesus? I say, how do I stay close to Jesus? I mean, this is John 15, and I'm talking about this on Wednesday night. But John 15, it is abide in him. He is the vine. We're the branch. we got to stay close to him. You might ask me, well, how do I stay close to Jesus? Well, if you're married, how do you stay close with your husband or your wife? How do you do that? You spend time with them. You get to know them. You listen to them. You open your heart to them. You receive what they're sharing with you. If you're dating somebody, how do you develop a stronger relationship? You spend time with them. 
You get to know them. You listen to them. You open your heart to them. You receive as they open their heart to you. You have a friend and you want to be closer to that friend. How do you get closer to that friend? You spend time with them. You grow to learn more about them. You open your heart to them. You receive as they open their heart to you. Look, it is not any more complicated to stay close to Jesus. We've got to listen to him. We've got to open our heart to him. We've got to get to know him. We've got to spend time in his word. We've got to spend time talking to him in prayer. We need to make it the daily discipline and delight of our life to walk with Jesus hand in hand, nourishing our soul in his presence. Are you walking with Jesus hand in hand or are you just playing a religious game where you're talking about religious stuff? A lawnmower with an engine but doesn't have any blade. A Super Bowl with a lot of sights and sounds but doesn't have a game to be played. you got to stay close to Jesus. Abide in me, Jesus said. Abide in me and you will produce fruit. This is how the Father is glorified, Jesus said. If you produce much fruit, that means you're fulfilling your purpose. At the very least, it means you're telling others how that those who are far from God can find life through Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, this is your calling. This is your purpose. Go out and cut some grass. Today's the day for us to stop pretending like the mission of the church is somebody else's job. It's my job. How do we know? When we stay close to Jesus... He gives us the courage we need to fulfill our purpose. Stay close to Jesus. I don't want to make it just a bunch of rules, but if you're not taking time in the day, throughout the day, to hear from Jesus through the Word of God, you're not staying close to Him. That's not all there is, but that's a good place to start. If you're not taking time every day, throughout the day, in prayer, talking to Jesus, then then you're not staying close to him. That's not the only thing there is, but that's the great place to start. If If you're not writing love letters to Jesus, make no mistake, that's that's not everything, but my goodness, that's a good place to start. Let's take some time and spend time with the one we say we love the most. Now's the time to stay close to Jesus. Jesus, and he will nourish your soul. He will produce joy in your heart, and he will give you the courage to obey. Stay close to Jesus. Last thing is the principle of greater loves. The principle of greater love is what Peter said in, in verse 19 and 20. So they say to Peter and John, don't talk anymore about Jesus. And, and Peter and John respond. I, I can see them. They kind of look at each other. Really? They said, well, hey guys, they said, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you more than to obey God, uh, you be the judge. 
But as for us, we can't help but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, they said to the religious leaders, go pack some sand, baby. We're talking about Jesus. Why? Because they loved God more than the approval or the applause of others. You want to know what keeps most people from being obedient to God in the hard times? It's that the idols of our life gain more of our affection than God does. You know an idol is anything you love more than God. Our obedience shows what we love the most. Jesus said it, if, if you... If you want to abide in my love, you need to obey me. You're my friends, he said, if you obey me. He said, your obedience is a test of your love for me. Do you realize that? But for us, so often, what we do is we love the pursuit of our own ambitions or pleasures more than we love God. And that is an idol that needs to be destroyed today. Or we love the applause of others more than we love the applause of God. And that's an idol that must be destroyed today. Or we love our own purposes more than we love the purposes of God. And that is an idol that must be destroyed today. So maybe we just need to join the first church in their prayer. Peter and John are let go. The religious leaders can't do anything about it. So the church gets together and and they hear the report of how Peter and John um, were, were released and they praised God, but they went to the Lord in prayer and they prayed to God saying, you're the maker of heaven and earth. And, 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 and uh, then I want you to hear the prayer in verse 29. The church says, now, Lord, look on the threats of the religious leaders. Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. You know what we need to do today? We need to pray that God would give us all boldness to speak his word. So that we can be a lawnmower that cuts grass. So we can be a chainsaw that cuts wood. So that we can have a Super Bowl with two teams playing. So that we can be the church. Fulfilling God's purposes in the world. So that we can be followers of Jesus. Obeying our King. Would you bow your heads with me please? Over these next few moments, I just invite you to ask God what needs to be adjusted in your life. Are there idols that need to be crushed? If so, I invite you to come to this altar and crush them. Have you been neglecting time with Jesus? Have you spent time, hours and days doing all sorts of things, but you're not staying close to Jesus? I invite you to come to this altar and get close to Jesus. 
Maybe you're here today and there's some, some, some flesh things that you've got to kill and crucify. Will you come to this altar and kill those things? Maybe you just need to cry out to the Lord to give you a fresh boldness. The courage to walk into whatever setting you're going to be in this afternoon or tomorrow, this week, and see that, that moment as an opportunity to share how that people who are far from God can find life in Jesus Christ. Father, in these moments, will you speak to your people and may we respond in obedience to you. May we love you more than even ourselves in this moment. Now, nourish our hearts with your presence as your spirit speaks to our soul. And give us obedient hearts, courageous for you.